weeks and I have to confess I didn't wear mine. I have a number of them. Some of them I know are ugly and some I don't. Anybody else have that problem? Where someone walks up to you and goes, hey, great, ugly Christmas sweater. I love that. And you're like, I didn't know it was ugly. It's one of my favorites that happens from time to time. So the big idea of ugly Christmas sweaters is this, that uh, usually around Christmas time, we see uh, these kind of hallmark uh, specials that are on and, you know, everything works out. The trees are lovely. Everyone's beautiful. Hair's in place. They, everyone is a lovely spokesmodel in the whole thing. You know, even the guy who runs the local store, he's just handsome as all get out, even though he's 254 years old. And uh, everything works out and everything's perfect. And by the end of the show, everything comes together. And, you know, and little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Amen? But we know that's not true. You know, most of us come from kind of uh, a background or a Christmas where it's not quite perfect, is it? Like I remember the year in our Christmas where uh, my dad would always buy a Christmas tree at the square in Lewistown. We'd bring it back. Uh, Usually they were selling them down by the Mifflin County Prison. And for some reason, the Mifflin County Prison made some money off. My dad led a Bible study there. I don't know how that worked. But uh, we'd buy a Christmas tree and they were always crooked. And that was before they had the drills where you drill through the bottom and it doesn't matter how crooked the tree is. It still stands. Anybody have one of those where they drill the bottom of the tree and it sits on the stand? Doesn't matter. We didn't have that. So we had to screw the tree to the wall in the living room. And my dad came from a farming background, so we didn't put screws right through it. We put some, you know, twine around it and some bailing wire down at the bottom, and we got it all set up. But I remember the Christmas when uh, Ming Toy, our little Siamese cat, got into the tree. And Ming Toy knocked the tree over on Christmas Eve. And trees all over the place, there's balls all over the place, lights all over the place. We're trying to screw the tree back up. We're looking for drywall screws and wood screws and all this kind of thing. But that's really the true picture of Christmas, amen? A tree that's toppled over on Christmas Eve that we bought from the prisoners at Mifflin County Prison. So that's really what I'm talking about when I'm talking about these ugly Christmas sweaters. Is there are at least uh, five characters in the first Christmas story that don't have a pristine sweater to wear. And we're going to talk about one of them this morning. It's Rahab. Rahab is mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1, 1 through 7. Matter of fact, there's four women that are mentioned there, which is actually in and of itself kind of an anomaly that four women would be inserted because in days of yore, women weren't always inserted into the genealogies. Often the men would play the prominent parts. But if you read Matthew 1 and forward down through there, these women's names, if you were Hebrew, would have popped off the page to you because they are people that we would have not written into Jesus' family tree. They wouldn't fit the hallmark edition of the Jesus' family tree. So when we look at that and we look at Jesus' family tree, we see these four women. We're going to look at one of them, the oldest, uh, or or one of them who was the oldest, a great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus, Rahab, who is engrafted into She's adopted into, she's not even a Hebrew, and she's brought into Jesus' family tree, and she's in holy writ, holy scripture. Her name is right there for you to read. 
You see, family trees are kind of interesting. I, I like family trees. I like doing this uh, uh, exercise called doing a genogram or genogram. Depends on what part of Mifflin County you're from, how you say genogram or genogram, okay? And, uh, but I like doing this exercise with people. I usually do, do it with couples. If I'm doing uh, some premarital work with them, I make them do a genogram. I make them ga- go back through four generations and look who they are. This is a really pretty uh, genogram of my family, my family and Debbie's family. And uh, my mother-in-law, uh, Hermine Horton, made this for it. Uh, she is from Germany, born and raised in, in Czechoslovakia in Germany. Uh, her dad was from Austria, Vienna, Austria. And um, so she made this for me, and it's beautiful. I love it. It sits upon our mantle above our fireplace, and it's really pretty. It's got these, like, peaches, nice fruit on it. It's got all the different names of the people. You see the Kolmans and the Stokels, the Winders, the Kuntz family, the Weston family, and then coming down to the Schmitz, who became Smiths, and the Hortons, and then Horton and Smith came together, never to be separated. Amen? But if the truth be told, and we really had this family tree, there would be some stains on it. There would be some poles in it. There would be some strain on it. And it might not totally fit stretched perfectly with little birds and plums around it. Amen? My brother has said this. My oldest brother said this. He said, family trees, we spend thousands of dollars to dig them up and tens of thousands to bury them again. (laughs) I come from a family, a good family of jokers. So I want to talk to you this morning about Rahab and her, her kind of her frayed, her stained Christmas sweater because she comes from this background. She's outside of the faith family of uh, Hebrew people, but not only that, her occupation was that of running a brothel. And so she's a prostitute who runs a brothel. She's outside of the faith family, but somehow she makes it in. How does she make it in? I think she makes it in because we misunderstand stained sweaters. We have bad thinking when it comes to stained sweaters in our past. So we, we actually do cross stitches like the one in front of us, so to speak, in our mind. And we try to present ourselves and our family as we're pristine, we're perfect. We don't have any Christmas trees that fell over on Christmas Eve because our Siamese cat got up in there and knocked it down. We don't have any crooked trees. The good news is, that we all have had a stained sweater and Jesus comes for just that. That's why there's Christmas. Because we have stained sweaters, each and every one of us have been far from God at some point and come near to him through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I love this, what we can learn from Rahab and her story. And I'll just go over it with you very quickly this morning. This bad thinking or faulty thinking about stained sweaters. And I I think the story kind of helps us understand that how to rectify our thinking when underneath we have a stained sweater that needs to be taken care of by Jesus. Number one, a stained sweater doesn't mean that God doesn't see you. That God doesn't see you. You know, many of us think that, well, because of my past or 
because of who I am or because of what I've done or what I haven't done or where I grew up or where I didn't grow up or whatever or what uh, degrees I have or degrees I don't have or what education I have or experience I have or don't have. Somehow God doesn't see me. God only sees my sin. He only sees the thing that's a barrier between us. But Rahab's story reminds us of the good news that God sees beyond our sin And he reaches beyond our sin through the nail-scarred handprints of Jesus Christ. And he reaches into our world to help us deal with our ugly Christmas sweater, our stained sweater. It says in the the book of uh, uh, Joshua, it says this in Joshua chapter 2. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent two spies to Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. And they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. Now, I want to stop there for a minute. What were these, two, what were these Hebrew boys going into a brothel for? Okay, we're kind of hard on Rahab and her crew, but what were these Hebrew boys doing in a brothel? I'm just going to leave it at that, okay? Maybe Rahab wasn't the only one that had a stained sweater. The king of Jer- they said the king of Jericho was, uh, was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out those men who came to you and entered, our, entered your house because they have come out to spy the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, men came to me, but they did not know, um, they did not know where they had come from. And at dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them. Maybe you can catch them. But she had taken them up to the room and hidden them, the roof and hidden them in stalks of flask that she had laid out on the roof. And so the men set out on pursuit of the spies on the road which leads to the fords of the Jordan. As soon as the pursuers had gone, the gate was shut. And so they were in safety. It says later on in Joshua chapter 2 that after that time, after she hides them, after she covers them up physically and literally, and metaphorically, it says, So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house they lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hill so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourself there three days until they return, and then go on your way. God saw Rahab. God, even in the midst of her sinful lifestyle, God used Rahab. Rahab housed these men. I can't help but to notice these Hebrew spies knew where this house was. It was within the city walls, fortified walls. And so they came there. It would probably have been also used as an inn also. So they knew where it was. They came to it into this fortified city. So she housed them. She took them in. She hid them. When these Canaanite goons came looking for them, she hid them. She deterred them. She even threw them off by lying to them right? She says, no, they're not here. They took off for the city gate. Meanwhile, she hid them on the roof. And so God uses Rahab to preserve the life of the spies. And then she helps them find their way. She lowers them out the window. And because she's in this red light district as a hotel located within the city wall, she lowers them down to safety. Her work aided 
the people of God and not only taking the great city of Jericho in the conquest and the settlement of the land, but God was working out a grander plan, a greater story, an epic, and he was using Rahab and her stained sweater to achieve that epic greater plan, the redemption of all of mankind. God saw her, God used her, God weaved her stained sweater into his grander plan, his epic. In his book, Epic, John Eldridge explains uh, the difference between an epic and a story. And uh, I just want to give you a couple things so you know what I'm talking about. You know, a, a story, we all have a story of Jesus and his love. Amen? Some of us have crossed the line of faith, some of us haven't, but we all have a story of Jesus and his love, and his love is compelling us to cross that line of faith. But an epic is different. An epic is a grand story, a greater story. It's a story that spans all of of time. And there's four parts to an epic, uh, says Eldridge. He says, something is hidden in the ancient past. There's a mystery to an epic. Something dangerous is now unfolding. There's danger in an epic. Something is waiting in the future for us to discover There's an adventure in the epic, and there's some crucial role for us to play. We have our participation in God's grander epic story. We have a role to play. She had a role to play. But sometimes we don't play our role in God's grander epic because we have stains on our sweater and we spend way too much energy and time trying to cover them up rather than give the sweater to Jesus and let him wash it in Calvary's blood and make it whiter than snow. And so I want to ask you, have you been burning some time? Have you been not playing your part in the grander epic because you thought God didn't see you? Or your sin was too deep to be forgiven. I mean, that's why we have Christmas. Christmas is here because there is no stain, no sweater, no past regret, no past life that God cannot forgive, redeem, restore, and weave and use in his grander epic. As a matter of fact, that's why he came. That's why he came, to take our small stories and weave them into his greater redemptive story and to reach mankind with his goodness and his love. Are you allowing these past failures to keep you from being used and participating in God's grander plan? Second thing this morning is a stained sweater doesn't mean God can't reach you. God can't reach you. It doesn't mean he doesn't see you. And can't use you for his kingdom. It also means that he can't reach you. It says in the book of Joshua, I know that the Lord has given you this land. This is, this is Rahab talking. I know the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you and when you came out of Egypt and what he did for you with Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. 
When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God of heaven above and the earth below. So Rahab reports that when we heard about how God interceded in your behalf, how he brought you out in this exodus experience on dry land, and how he preserved you and how he brought you into victory and and how he helped you defeat the greatest enemies in the Amorites and and how then you're coming in, that everyone has been frozen in fear. Our land is frozen. Our people don't know what to do. That's why they're trying to find you two guys and get you out of town as quick as possible or to wipe you off the face of the earth. Because everyone is frozen in fear. She says this, For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. It's very interesting in the text of Scripture in Joshua that Rahab uses this personal name for God that he revealed when he revealed himself to Moses. She uses the word, and a good Hebrew person wouldn't say it, but we say it as Christians, Yahweh. She uses the personal name for God. There's some connection with God. There's some of God reaching her. Everyone else is frozen in fear, but Rahab seems to have a different connection with Yahweh, a stirring within her that perhaps a God like that, a God who takes care of his people might take care of her. And Rahab was a woman who was not taken care of very well by men. Amen? So perhaps there was an appeal to her in a God, in a father, in a dad, in an almighty who would look out for her, who would take care of her, who would reach her where she was. She was seeing beyond the fear that gripped others, and she was beginning to find faith in God. Perhaps a prostitute and a brothel owner, Rahab, had hit some hard knocks in life. And she'd seen a God in his goodness and his preservation and his love. And she wanted him. So when others melted in fear, Rahab was moved what? To faith. She was moved to faith in God, believing in God. Everyone else is frozen. Everybody else is looking. Everybody else is paralyzed. Everybody else is stuck. And Rahab is moving because God is reaching, because God sees us and he reaches for us. And if we submit to him, he takes our small story and he weaves it into his grander epic so that the redemption of mankind comes into play through the Messiah. I want to ask you the second question this morning. How might believing that God is reaching out for you address your fears and increase your faith? Rahab's had some belief that this God, this God who was preserving them and taking care of them, and even though she wasn't of the family of faith, and she, didn't, she had some belief that that God was reaching her. I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit coming to her. It doesn't tell us in the text of Scripture that that's what happened. But somehow God 
Spirit comes to her and seasons her and pulls her and points her and prods her that when everybody else is stiff as a board, Rahab is moving. She's listening. She's working. She's cooperating with God and his spirit and his greater story. Last thing I want to talk to you about this morning is a stained sweater doesn't mean that God can't embrace you. A stained sweater doesn't mean God can't embrace you. And so, you know, Rahab, she cuts this deal with them. If you see in Joshua, she says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my, my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. And if I don't tell you what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. And so we tick forward just a few verses. And it says, You have tied this scarlet cord in the window to which you let us down, unless you have brought your father and your mother and your brothers and all your family into your house. So they tell her, hey, look, this scarlet cord that you let us down with, we want you to mark your house with it, and then we'll know that that's a house that gets spared. That's a house that gets saved. That's a house that gets redeemed. That's a house that gets to come in. What is the scarlet cord reminiscent of? The blood of the Passover lamb put on the doorposts. That when the death angel would come by, he would pass over that house. That house would be preserved and engrafted and be part of God's greater plan and his greater story. And so they tell her, mark yourself with the cord. It says in Joshua 6, 25, but Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all belonged to her because she hid the men. And Joshua had sent these spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. So God did not only preserve her life and the life of her family, but he welcomes her into his family. God removes a couple of stitches of the cross stitch, and he cross-stitches Rahab's name into Jesus' family tree. A name that you and I would not pick, a person that you and I would not pick if we were establishing Jesus' family tree. Or we might just edit her out of Matthew chapter 1. Amen? Because maybe she just doesn't fit into our little box of who God loves, who God sees, who God reaches, who God embraces. But if we look back at our story of Jesus and his love, when we look at the cross, we go, I'm so glad he saw me. I'm so glad he reached me. I'm so glad that he embraces me. Amen? So, this Christmas season, the goodness of Christmas is this, that God came for us all. Amen?
No matter what ugly sweater you wear or have hanging in your closet, no matter which one you tried to scrub down yourself and clean yourself up, the good news is Jesus came for people with ugly Christmas sweaters. He came exactly for that reason. And by this act of faith, we see in Hebrews eleven thirty one this woman written this woman who is outside of the Hebrew family she's written into the hall of fame of people of faith, unbelievable, unbelievable. By an act of faith, Rahab, the Jericho harlot, welcomed the spies and escaped the destruction that came on those all those who what refused to trust in God. She's welcome in the family. Ann Voskamp reminds us that God welcomes people with stained sweaters into his family. She says this, the family tree of Christ startlingly notices not only one woman, but four, four broken women, women who felt like outsiders, like has-beens, like never-beens. Like them, he grafts you into his line and his story and his heart, and he gives you his name and his lineage and his righteousness. He grafts you into his story, his greater plan. Remember I talked to you about the epic a little bit earlier? What? An epic has an ancient past is going on. There's this mystery. There's this danger that something new is unfolding. There's this adventure. Something's waiting for you to discover. And then there's some crucial role for you to play in God's grander plan. Don't miss out on that. The epic, God is still writing the epic and he's calling us into his grander plan. Amen? We have a crucial role to play. We are not the center of the universe. As a matter of fact, today, if on my ride home, I passed away, hopefully I wouldn't wreck my car into anybody else. And my Honda Civic or my Honda Accord was gone and I was gone a couple of people would mourn me. My family would miss me. But guess what? The globe would keep turning. Amen? And Jesus would keep working. So we're not the middle of the story, but we're part of the story. And for this handful of people that would miss me or say goodbye to me, or this handful of people that throughout my life I've got to lead across the line of faith, If I wasn't here, it would be different for them. Amen? There are people in your life, you play a crucial role in their story too. About Jesus and his love. Because they think because of their stains, God doesn't see them. They think because of their stains, he can't reach them. They think because of their stains, God won't embrace them. And they're dead wrong. Aren't they? They're dead wrong. And they need you and they need I to remember that they are part of our story and his story. I want us just to pause for a moment because I want us to remember this passage of Scripture. I just want to do that P-R-A-Y, pause, reflect, ask, and yield, with a passage of Scripture from Isaiah 118. And I'm going to read it, and then I want you just to focus on it. Just take a quiet moment with it, okay? The Scripture says this, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, 
they shall be wool. Let's just pause. Take a deep breath. And then you just read and reflect on these words. Then ask God any question that comes to your mind that comes from reading and reflecting. And then just yield to him in prayer. Perhaps put your hands like this on your lap or in front of you. Just yield to God's spirit and his will in your life. Let him settle the matter. Let him wash you clean. Let him change your perspective on people that maybe you went right into the story, but he does. I have a prayer to pray, and maybe you would like to pray this prayer after me. If you'd like to, just pray it either out loud or in your, in your mind's eye, in your heart. It goes like this. Jesus, for some time I've let my stained sweater create distance between us. I believe that due to my past failures, you can't use me, that you'd never reach for me, and most of all, you would never embrace me. But I realized today that I was dead wrong. You came to redeem people with stained sweaters. I'm one of them. Today I confess the sins of my past and ask that you cleanse them. Please forgive my sins and lead my life. Thank you for in Jesus Christ eliminating the distance between us and weaving me into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's a couple of things that we can learn from this ugly Christmas sweater from Rahab. The first one is this. Broken people aren't just part of God's story. They're the point of his story. Let that one sink in over the holidays. Broken people aren't just part of the story. They're the point of the story. Second one is this. Jesus came from broken people for broken people. And today I just leave you with a couple of questions this morning, reflection questions. You know, are you allowing past failures to keep you from being part of God's grander purpose? Uh, what do you need to do today to turn your stained sweater over to Jesus and take your place in God's grander epic story? And the third question I'm going to ask you is, what neighbors are you blessing by praying for them at the holiday season? Uh, in a few months, we'll uh, 
If you guys could back up to this other slide, there's a slide with the blessed book on it and just a, a little, two pictures. There you go. Thank you. In a couple months, we'll be reading this book, Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. And I just want you to think about this at the holiday season, you know, like um, we ask who is our neighbor. I mean, part of the vision here is to bless our neighbors, right? And uh, you did such a great job this morning, uh, our host, at, at letting us know, hey, this is how I'm learning how to bless my neighbors, right? I just, you know, taking my pickleball addiction to the streets, so who is my neighbor? You know, if you took that home today and you just kind of filled in those boxes with a couple of names, let's just say you didn't fill in all the boxes. Let's say you filled in two or three names of people that you play pickleball with, of people that you get your hair cut by, of people who are your next door neighbor right down the road, of, of people who you get a cup of coffee from when you go to the coffee shop. Um, I started going to Copper Cup, and now that's my new addiction, Copper Cup. Dirty chai, coffee. It's my new addiction. So I need to learn names. I need to write them down. I need to pray for them. See, here's what the deal is. And we know this from Scripture. And we know this from our own. We don't get anyone saved. Amen? Jesus saves. We have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. We just cooperate. Write their names so the Holy Spirit can tell you and prompt you when to cooperate. Not manipulate. Not cajole. He's already working. We just want to join him in his work. So take a couple minutes to do that. This week, two or three people, just start praying for them. They might be people you can invite out to our Christmas series or Christmas Eve. Um, they might not come out. It might take a longer time than that. But pray first, invite often, and love all. Amen? But start with prayer, because Jesus is working in their life. I just leave you with those couple questions this morning. Thanks for listening to me today. God bless you, and I look forward to celebrating Advent with you this year. Amen.